0: Welcome to the Guidepost. I am sure our listeners are aware of what happened in Tampa Bay recently and and those images that we saw up and down the coast of bulldozers with piles of fish, the stories of uh, a horrible tide choking all the oxygen out of the water, kind of killing everything in its path and um you know I, I think there's a story to be told and and the ASGA team Kind of put their heads together and said, "You know, who's the guy that we should get on the podcast to talk about this?" So, uh, gentleman's name, Dustin Pack, comes up, and he's on the the board of the Tampa Bay Waterkeepers, and he also runs Fly Tide Charters in that area. And uh, I'm really excited today to kind of give him an opportunity to tell all the listeners what happened there from a guide's perspective. Um, so, Dustin. Please, please, uh, welcome and, and
1: and please say hello to the to the listeners. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Anything to to pretty much spread the word and message on what happened to our estuary. Um, yeah, I'm Captain Dustin Pack. I'm a I'm a fly fishing guide here in Tampa, um, and I'm also on the board of directors for Tampa Bay Waterkeeper. Um, and like I said, all these podcasts and media outlets and reporters and Like you said, a lot of people know what happened here. A lot of people don't know. So pretty much main objective for us right now is legally, but also just talking to people like yourself and just spreading the word on what happened here to try to get in front of it. Because, you know, the people that cause all this kind of stuff, they want us to shut up and not say anything. So I think talking about it as possible is the best thing.
0: They, They all say I'm too high strung, Dustin, the people up by me
1: you're
0: too Um, high strung i'm too yeah that that's the criticism of me i'm too high strung yeah you're Um, too high strung until it's then it's too late and then all those people are like wow why didn't we do anything you know you have this dynamic estuary down there you really cool fishery um you know we were talking about florida uh amongst our team and and you know what it comes down to is i don't think anywhere where you live in the united states that florida isn't the domestic tourist destination for serious fishermen you know because there is so much to catch compared to you know just about everywhere else and you're so fortunate and i and i know you know with what you do you appreciate that so you know tell us a little bit about your fishery that you remember dustin and then kind of get into let's get into what happened and and what you're seeing now so what what was the what was your fishery that you loved? Like if you could take a client, you got your one of your favorite clients, and you just picked like the perfect day for them your day, you know, they, they look at you and you say, man, let's go, let's go catch whatever you want to catch Dustin.
1: What no. what- so my bread and butter, I love fly fishing for redfish here in Tampa, you know, we have a, a awesome fishery for just about everything. Like you said, um, tarpon, our tarpon fishery is unbelievable. We have giant tarpon here. Um, that's our biggest, like we are the busiest as a, as a guiding community, especially a fly fishing guiding community. Uh, we're the busiest from April through July. That's our, you know, but for me personally, um, when it comes to. Cooler weather and our redfish here are just, are so difficult to catch on fly. Cause they're so smart they get so much pressure, but we have great red fishing here. Um, that would probably be my calm day, cool, low tide tailing redfish is, even if you got to get out and stalk them on foot, it's for me, that's, that's the Mecca. Um, that's a, it's, it's a, way fish to market. Market.
0: it's, it's so much like hunting, right? Oh, 100%. So, like there's just the, the stalk, the, you know, I, mm-hmm. it's your heart gets thumping and, and right. doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to mess up, right? Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have, like I said, our our red fishing is, is, I mean, some days they're dumb as Louisiana redfish. And then most, but most of the time I would say 98% of the time you point at them from a hundred feet away, they're going to feel the movement, that displacement of that boat. Um, and they're going to run. So your job to be there, be as stealthy as possible, have your a game with casting. And then when you know how difficult it is, to get them to eat. And then when it all comes together, that's what makes it so cool. And like I said, tarpon fishing here is I love it too. I mean, it's a close second. But there's a lot of things that comes with tarpon fishing like summertime, and a lot of people on the water and a lot of jet skiers and stuff like that, where is the wintertime red fishing and it's 50 55 degrees here, that's cold. Um, and not many people on the water. And if anybody else, that's, that's pretty sweet.
0: So you're talking sand flats for the
1: redfish. I heard you say, you know, if you gotta get out and wade, so just flooded grass flats, you said low tide. Both. Yeah. So if we have tail and redfish and stuff on a low tide, it's mo- more or less going to be in uh grass, obviously. But then we have like sandy shorelines and stuff with you know white sand bottom and crystal clear water. That's when it starts to get super challenging when they're they can feel here since I was I was, the I, was I was fixing to say man, that's when the fun stuff starts,
0: right? Exactly. So you, you know, get those hide, man. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's cool. yeah
0: no that's cool so um so you know that's you know that's that's a little flavor of your fishery but what the hell happened man where how did how did those how did how did we see those pictures so
1: um it's been a long time in the making um so what happened is piney point is a uh an old phospho gypsum stack so when you when you mine for phosphate, people use phosphate for fertilizers, you know, it's, we have stacks all over. We have 24, we may have to check this number, twenty-four, twenty-five stacks around the state and 21 of them are not active. Plenty point was one of them. And it's been a problem for a long time for 20 plus years. There's a paper trail as long as you can read uh, of, just leadership falling apart, not doing what they were supposed to do with getting rid of the water that was in the stack and treating the water that was in the stack. Um, You can look up multiple Tampa Bay uh, Times articles of a date, day by day, month by month, year by year. This happened in 1988. This happened in 1999. And you can follow that paper trail of everything that happened. So anyways, so it was pretty much kicking the can down the road. Uh, Whoever it was that was in charge, either HRK Holdings, FDEP, um, just kicked that can down the road where we had this problem that we had to get rid of this water. because. So what happens is when you have a phosphogypsum stack, there are big, pretty much a giant retention pond, right? And when you mine for phosphate, your byproduct is phosphogypsum. It's a highly toxic, hazardous wastewater. It's high in nutrients. It's high in metals. It's high in a lot of crap that you don't want anywhere near your estuary but in order to hold these hold this liquid they build these giant stacks with 60 to 80 foot walls and it's a giant retention pond in the middle and that byproduct hazardous liquid sits in the middle of that stack so and at the bottom of the stack is a liner and all of them have this liner and the liner for piney point has been breached multiple times over the decades Uh, it reached one time and got into an estuary uh, called bishop's harbor which is a sensitive sanctuary for you know numerous birds and wildlife and fish and it it wreaked havoc on it 20 years ago and 10 years ago maybe Um, can i can i ask you a question real quick
0: like yeah i'm a pretty simple guy so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know i it's always like occam's razor you know and yeah, i just i kind of see things and i'm like i don't get like something's jumping out of me i don't get it how can they get that permit to build a facility like this so close to the water. I mean, I would I would think that if you have to have this kind of retention pond and I understand Florida is all water, but I think a requirement would probably is it just is there an economic factor that makes it more profitable for the business to be close to water? Mm-hmm. It just it seems like one of these things that there would just there would be a law cuz Florida is not terrible with environmental law. There there's some stuff that they really get wrong. Yeah, But let me tell you, it's better than a lot of states that I know. I, so I just don't, under, what's the connection here? What, why would they, with the risk of building this next to the estuary and the potential for legal issues, like
1: why would they do it? So a lot of, and it, they're not just by, um, these are a few that are by the water and they're by ports. So they transfer and ship the phosphate, the gyps, or the uh, phosphate, sorry. We have them over here off the Alafia river, which is right by a little a port this piney point is right next to port manatee who is also in charge of the stack but we also have these stacks in the middle of the state as well in mulberry uh they think you call it bone alley there's a bunch of them there and if you look back four or five years ago um one of the stacks over there that was owned by mosaic actually breached and leaked at the center of the stack and leaked into i don't know you would we'd have to look up the numbers of how many gallons but hundreds of thousands of gallons of this High nutrient wastewater into the drinking aquifer for the state for that county. And seems legit. so that happened. Yeah. What's that? I said, that seems legit. That seems like it'll be okay. If that so happened. there's a history of these things failing, right? It's not a secret. Yeah. It's like I said, there's paper trails forever. Um, but a lot of these companies that run these stacks and run this are billion dollar companies, you know, they have a lot of money, they have a lot of pull, they donate a lot of money here, donate a lot of money there. But so back to so piney points not owned by Mosaic. Piney Point was owned by started in the 60s by the Mulberry Corp. And then it changed hands multiple times it state on it for a portion of time. And then um, the HRK Holdings had it but anyway, so it's that derelict for a while um and by state law if a phosphogypsum gypsum stack sits there like for longer than an hour or on an hour younger than a year it's supposed to be shut down well this was never shut down um multiple thing. i, I mean i can't get into too much of it because we actually do have a lawsuit against um uh, port manatee the state of florida fdep and hrk holdings uh, water keeper and a couple of our other uh organizations that we're affiliated with had do have a lawsuit against this so But so that stack, anyways, that liner inside that stack, um, the Port Manatee and the FDEP approved Port Manatee to dump, they wanted to dredge Port Manatee, the shipping channel. This liner was not built to hold dredge tailings, but for some reason, FDEP allowed Port Manatee to dredge that channel and put those dredge tailings and all that into this stack, along with everything else that was in it. So that weight on that line or everything else, long story short, multiple breaches, and then back in the end of March of 2021, that stack breached on the South side and it started leaking. Um, and they were afraid that that entire South wall was going to breach and go into the neighboring area where there was residential houses. So it has around 800 million gallons of high nutrient wastewater in that stack and for the fear of the entire wall collapsing they decided to um drain it into tampa without treating it because they didn't have any time to treat it so for so it was supposed to be the original number was supposed to be 400 million gallons was supposed to be uh discharged into tampa bay that number ended up being 215 million gallons um that's the number they give us for 10 days they discharged 215 million gallons of high nutrient wastewater into the bay. Um, so it's the equivalent of 80,000 fertilizer bags being dumped into the bay. And so, if you we have red tide, the red tide is an algae that is naturally occurring,
0: but Dustin, we are just, I gotta tell you, unfortunately, guess what we're super familiar with in the bay with algae. Yeah, I mean it's we have. um I was telling. uh I I was telling a a previous podcast guest. We have things crab jubilees, and and you can you can be fishing a shoreline and you'll hit that red tide and and blue crabs can't get out of the way and you'll see like five ten of them run up on the shore and just flip over dead. Yep, because they just they freak out. I see them sometimes. They'll grab the top of the crab. The crab floats yeah uh and you'll just you'll be going and you'll see you'll see a crab just bobbing on top of the float, and you're like, man, evil can evil the crab world you're flame with fire, but uh yeah no, I mean we're sadly we're familiar with that um yeah and 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 so I'm guessing the water warmed up to the right temperature after you got your two hundred and fifteen million gallons of supercharged junk, yep and
1: it was just
0: probably yeah. then wild, kaboom. wildfire right
1: yeah so like i said it was the end of uh march beginning of april they did the discharges um multiple entities uh estuary program Tampa estuary program who we at waterkeeper work closely with um we do more of the law side but to get our scientific backing and, and info and stuff we rely heavily on the estuary program who we trust their science they did studies on trying to figure out where, the, and so did USF, where this water went to and it pretty much just stayed inside of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's tides and how it works here. Tampa Bay is kind of like a washing machine. So that water just kind of sloshed around there for a while until it started to eat up.
0: Yeah, so you do you have, um, I'm asking because I live on an estuary too, where we are, the water will, will stratify and, mm-hmm. and you'll have salt water on the bottom, fresh water on top. And what happens is it's it's usually right around the thermocline. And that's where all the oxygen is. So as as the water heats up here, the fish that, you know, predatory fish that that need a a lot of oxygen kind of get squeezed in Yeah. to this like sweet spot between like 12, 17 feet, 15, 17 feet, and you can see them you can see them in the thermocline um right. and it's you know that that's kind of how bad the algae blooms and the and the, and the and the hypoxic you know nightmare uh that we get every year has become here it's horrible um it's horrible it happened to tampa bay as well so in all your years of guiding you wake up in the morning and it must have felt like a punch in the gut right
1: yeah, it uh, so it wasn't, I mean, it, so it started, I was first taking photos, video and documenting this whole thing. June 14th, I believe was the first number of fish that I saw that were dead. Um, so we were, I fish an area up here near down, I live in near downtown Tampa. There's an area called Bayshore and we were up in that area and I started just seeing floating catfish. And like I said, it was around June 14th or 15th. Just hundreds of dead catfish, multiple speckled trout. Um, and I was like, crap, what you know, what's going on? So, this discharge has happened, like you're saying, end into March, beginning of April. Obviously, the water temp isn't as hot as it needs to be for a full on algae bloom, red tide fish kill event to happen, but in June it is. <clears throat> so, June 14th, 15th, start seeing dead fish, start documenting it all. Um, started going out more and more, seeing more and more dead fish. And then, you know, pretty much put out a call to on social media, to friends, guides, recreational anglers, anybody that's out, please send me photos, videos. You know, if you see any fish kills, any kind of discolored water, whatever you see, send them to me. So then for the next two weeks, I was inundated with more videos and photos and any than I could ever imagine. Um, and then, so all these fish were dead and dying inside of Tampa Bay, floating. Um, endless photos that I could send you. And then um then we had a tropical storm come at the beginning of July. And what happened was though that from that tropical storm, um that wind came out of the southeast and it pushed all of those dead fish. I mean it didn't do us any favors, don't get me wrong, but some people wanna say that this red tide and stuff was caused this fish kill was caused by that tropical storm, which just isn't, in my opinion, is not true. All those fish, for the most part, were pretty much dead. And then all that southeast wind pushed all those dead fish into um, St. Pete, downtown St. Pete. And that's when the real like national attention came on. That's the big islands of dead fish that was all over Fox and CNN and everywhere else. And the canals that were inundated in St. Pete was pretty much because that storm pushed all of those dead fish that were already dead into St. Pete and it ended up being um, 1700 tons of dead marine life uh, when all said and done just just in Tampa Bay alone so I mean it was it was pretty brutal it didn't happen just overnight really but um it happened for you know eight two months probably and yeah so I mean it was pretty devastating. I was afraid at one point i mean i I don't know how many if you if you drain Tampa Bay and then took all the marine life, I don't know how much that weighs, but seventeen hundred tons seems like a lot to me um so it was, at some points, I was afraid that the entire bay was dead and luckily now we realize that that's not the case. um we still do have life in the bay and the water the red tide has receded uh in out of Tampa Bay. It hit the beaches real bad um but that doesn't mean that you know the problem's gone it doesn't mean that we didn't have 700 tons of dead fish um we still have this problem it's just tides and wind and everything kind of helped assist to get it out of tampa bay
0: did it uh was it around long enough where it created the hypoxic events right no oxygen in the water yeah were you seeing dead shellfish dead crush because that's where the real damage in my opinion is done
1: yeah
0: if it's just one section of tampa bay let's say and a bunch of fish die i mean you and nothing else you'll have more fish roll in in a couple of weeks if yeah. that long right if it's if it's prime habitat but yeah. if you if the seagrass starts dying off you start losing shell shellfish Right then, you then you got you got long term problems. So what what was yeah. the verdict? What are you seeing now? Like so, it was definitely so a lot
1: of more eels than I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know we had that many eels in Tampa Bay. I currently don't need more, but um, the seagrass numbers like we were talking about estuary program does uh, seagrass restoration numbers and water sampling. So we won't know the exact uh, impact that seagrass had um, for a little bit. Um, uh, definitely saw, I mean, it was everything, crustaceans, shrimp, crabs, um, a lot of catfish, trout, redfish, cobia. I've never seen a red tide killer cobia in my life. Um, tarpon, giant tarpon, um, snook, I mean, 40, 45, 50 inch snook bellied up inside the channel, um, triple tail giant, I mean, literally anything you can think of, we found it. Uh, I started hearing that birds were getting affected because the birds were eating the 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 affected fish. Then it started killing the bird life. I mean, it was it was a chain effect. I mean, everything was just. I mean, you would go to certain areas, and it wasn't just like so. There was you'd have the Gandhi Bridge and the two seventy five Howard Franklin Bridge in Tampa. North of those bridges, it seems like it was because the way the tide moves up that way, it seems like that certain area stayed relatively clean compared to everything else. But the south side of the bay, Apollo Beach, east side of the bay, and all the way up to downtown uh, was pretty much a dead zone for about six weeks. So it was it was pretty bad.
0: So Dustin, you know, uh, I think a big part of this, you know, you get you get angry, you know, you have all that emotion, and then, like you said, y'all knew this was happening for a real long time. Right? And, then, right. and then you watch one bad decision after another and then it's like your worst fear. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just want to, you know, you want to stand up on the steeple and just say, I told you so. Right. You dumb, you dumb bastards. Now look at, now look at where we are. Yeah. So, you know, it's stuff like this that I know drives our association to... Do everything, and it's in none of this stuff. There's no silver bullet. People think that you know you can you can get a hundred people together at the town square, and and make picket signs and chant, and you win. And the truth is, you'll probably be doing this till the day you die. Oh, yeah. You know, like there's it's never gonna go away. You you and you're gonna yeah. win some, and you're gonna lose some. I guess my question is, and and I know you can't talk about it, and clearly you know y'all have some litigation on the books but how do you how do you how do you make sure this never happens again permanent you know permanent because something else will happen but you make sure this never happens again and and what would you tell our listeners you know if they want to if they want to get involved or send an email or they love tampa bay i mean i i have a i have a lobbyist friend in dc that owns his owns his own lobby firm and he took his grandson to tampa bay a year ago um and was planning to go back every every year multiple times a year had the best time ever got his grandson hooked on fishing made their relationship better just you know one of the great great stories right and we were talking about a fisheries issue and i said hey man you know did you see what happened to tampa bay and he's like no and I sent it, and and he went off the rails. You know how could we let this happen? So we have we have listeners I know that care. So tell us what y'all are doing to make sure that you that the right people learn from this mistake and it doesn't happen again. And then kind of tell people. I guess the best way to to help, the best way to get involved and to help because you can't do this alone,
1: right? So we um, I mean, that's a, like you said, there is no silver bullet, there is no, like, do this one thing, and it fixes everything. It's a long, long, I mean, there's so many, it's not just piney point, let me get that straight too. Like we are a very, very with waterkeeper, we're a very, very localized, uh, you know, group, we do we do. Our main objective, when I joined waterkeeper, I was, fighting i live right off of the hillsborough river here through downtown and my main objective when i joined was to clean up trash and figure out a way to clean the river um for in the hillsborough river and like, that's how localized we are and then this happened and now we're kind of taking on you know multiple entities with phosphate and stuff and um so yeah so as much as tampa bay went through like three months ago a few months ago you know and our estuary is, is trying to bounce back as we have to give it time to bounce back but it's it's definitely much better now than it was three months ago but we still have these problems that we have to deal with with phosphate we have you know sewage leaks that happen constantly for thousands of gallons that you know it seems like it happens every week either in downtown tampa or downtown st pete um we have you know over fertilized yards that are right on the water you know fertilizer bands in in hillsborough county which is where tampa is the in especially in the rainy season it needs to happen uh, because that's just more nutrients dumping into our estuary um i think one of the biggest things too in in legislation for phosphate mining you know we can go in for days for that something has to happen there with labeling phospho gypsum hazardous material or whatever has to happen there but education is is everything you know every, i think that when it comes to kids in elementary school or middle school or high school, environmental education has to be a priority. You know, I take out clients all the time and we have these giant gypsum stacks and a lot of people think they're landfills, you know, and even when I was a kid, I thought it was a landfill too. And uh, I, I, I wish it was a landfill, unfortunately. Um, but I have to explain to them what they are and what's happening. Um, and what those things hold like that kind of stuff. It's happening in our backyard. So that kind of education needs to happen. Environmental education. Um, and just and becoming a member for Tim Bay Waterkeeper is huge. We're a volunteer board that fights legally. We pretty much go we fight against anybody that violates the Clean Water Act. That's our main objective. Um, so if you would like, if you join, go to Tampa become a member, look at what we do, look at our, all of our history of our lawsuits and everything we filed and, and, um, it's all on our website. Um, but I think that comes, it's not, like I said, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think one of the biggest things is, is education telling your friends, Hey, this happened in Tampa Bay. This is why this happened in mosquito lagoon on the East coast of Florida. This is why. You know, look at what, like we were talking about earlier, look at what the Captains for Clean Water guys doing in the Everglades, you know? So many people had no idea the Everglades were hurting as bad as they are, you know? And Chris and Daniel started Cabins for Clean Water, and now look at how many people know, look how many people are fighting for it. Um, that kind of stuff has to happen for not, I mean, not just Tampa, I mean, it has to happen for Tampa, but like I said, the Lagoon, mosquito Lagoon on the East Coast is dying from the same thing, from maybe not phosphate runoff, but from sewage runoffs or in dead grass and their manatee numbers are down. You know, we have so many s r a s that need fighting for and I think education is, is priority one.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, um, I think the challenge, the challenge is that, you know, you're dealing with a ton of people, uh, just the sheer numbers of recreational anglers out there And there's a certain percentage that don't want to know. And then there's, I think there's a a large percentage that are like, you know, I love this, but you know, I have a wife and kids in my full-time job in the office. And I, I don't even understand what you guys are saying when you start talking about this stuff, you know, the acronyms, the, so I think you're right. You know, education is key. Um, and and one of the reasons dustin we do this podcast is you know we try real hard to paint this picture that we all have the same problems like guides everywhere up and down the coasts all the coasts it's all the same thing and it's it's a combination of habitat loss pollution clean water issues and piss poor management Mm-hmm. And the fish are different, and we use different gear for them, and and the water looks different, and all this. But the problems are all the same.
1: They're yep. all the same.
0: Uh, yeah, it's pretty frustrating, you know. It's uh, it it would be nice if it would be nice if we had the resources to bring everyone together and everyone's expertise and what they learned fighting the battles in their backyard. And and bring it bring it to bear on a national level, right? yeah. Because in my opinion, I think that's what it's going to take to turn this around. Because I don't know anywhere. I'm an old guy, man. I'm about you know, I'm fifty. 50 yikes! Um, but I I remember the heyday of a lot of fisheries. I mean, the heyday. Yeah. You know, I I I can remember going to the beach and catching i don't know how many weak fish over 30 inches Uh, i hadn't seen a weak fish 20 inches in 15 years um you know stripers to 50 and in all these things that are gone and you you look uh you kind of look at social media because i think we're further down the road where i live i think we're further down the road than y'all are sad to say um but you know, when we used to hold up pictures of forty pound bass, and now guys are holding up pictures of 22, 23 inch bass, and that's a good day. And it's kind of you know it's a shifting baseline that happens too, with all of this stuff. People get used to the garbage and that becomes the new normal. Um, yeah. I know what the answer to this is before I even ask it, but every time that we have an advocate on the show, I just ask them like simple yes or no. Do you, do you think it can turn around and be what it was?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone.
0: It, that, that is
1: well. The yes reason I not, say that everyone too is, says you know, well, Tampa never, Bay was 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 labeled a, a dead estuary in the seventies and eighties. We were dead. You know, if we lost. We had so in the fifties we had around fifty five thousand uh, uh, acres of seagrass in Tampa Bay. And then, you know, before the Clean Water Act, you know, before science knew better, people knew better, you know, people, we were just dumping raw sewage into the bay. And then in the 70s, we got to around 25,000 acres of seagrass. So we dropped half Um, and it was a dead zone. You know, it's been the reason that a lot of it changed was because a lot of that smell and that crap ended up on Bayshore where all the rich people live. Um, and then advocacy groups put together, came together. Clean Water Act came around, and then we, as of 2014, I believe, our sea grass numbers were right close to that 55,000 acre number that we had in the 50s. So we've done it before, you know. And I know, and I, and we're still. I mean, we're still here. We're still fishing. We're still, you know. But we can't continue to 1,700 tons of dead marine life every year. It can't happen. You know, or it's going to be labeled a dead zone again.
0: One of, um, my, uh, one of my favorite super fishery nerd policy questions, trivia questions, is who signed the, clean air, the clean, clean air Act, Clean Water Act, and started the Environmental Protection Agency? Who signed all that into law? Richard Nixon. Oh, okay. So if you were going to pick all the presidents, I think you'd more likely say John Adams than Richard Nixon at this point in the country but you know uh it's 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 always a stark reminder to me that it may sound crazy but you know clean water and fisheries issues are are something that everyone should agree on and they used to it used to be that way um and we got to kind of bring it back to center who's who are your have you engaged your congressman dustin i'm sure you all have
1: well, yeah, I mean, we we have meetings, huh? we just had a meeting um, with Kathy Castor, we had meetings with uh, Nikki Freed, we've had meeting with our Ag Commissioner Nikki Freed, um, you know, people, a lot of people do want to care a lot of people in charge, you know, they, they want information on what's happening, why it's happening and what we could do. And they go to a lot of us to ask those questions, which I think is good to start. Um, but yes, we're definitely in contact with multiple politicians, I like guess.
0: So I've said this before and, and kudos, huge kudos to the people who made it happen. But Florida's last governor election, the number one issue on it was clean water. Yeah. Uh, and I and Dustin, I've been around a while, and I, I gotta tell you, I've never seen that. Whether it was a state, local, federal election, I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah, where where the solitary issue, the number one issue across the board was, what are you going to do to fix this clean water mess? Yeah. Um, I to 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 make that something like that the issue, incredible job. I think all the I think all you all together in Florida are doing a great job to bring these issues to the surface um you know and and let's hope let's hope for tampa bay that uh that this is a this is a bump in the road and and it was shocking and horrible enough and it was a lesson learned and we can kind of change stuff for the better like i said permanently um because you know i don't i don't think any of us want to be we want to leave something better for our families and the future generations and we we certainly don't want to don't want to be fighting the same mess you know when we're when we're in our 70s which isn't that long for some of us
1: <laughs> yeah i think so, it takes you know a lot of like with anglers especially you know recreational anglers guides you know everybody in my opinion needs to be an advocate for your estuary. you know if you see something the going the happening you know we need to do something about it you know some people don't feel that way which is unfortunate you know they don't want to talk about it and i get that because it's business you know you got to make money you don't want to scare people away but then you're either going to deal with this problem now or you're going to deal with it way worse in five years or six years or seven Dustin, years.
0: man you just nailed you just nailed it because <clears throat> you know when people's businesses rely on stuff they don't want to it's like they don't want to face the truth when stuff starts to turn bad because they, they don't want people canceling trips. Tackle shops want people in there buying stuff, so they don't want to tell you how bad it is. Um, and I'll tell you, 10 years ago, it was really hard to get people to stand up and say something. It's becoming easier. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, yeah. But I feel like stuff's shifting. Have you? Have you – for the better – as far as
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, we talked about them earlier, Daniel and Chris with captains, and I think they had a lot to do with it, too, because I think they, they had a lot of pushback. Um, you know, when they were trying to advocate for their estuaries, the discharges and stuff that they were dealing with, you know, a lot of guys were like, don't, you know, our right, we don't say anything, we're gonna lose trips, you know, and then hindsight, obviously, they were doing the right thing, fighting for it. And I think a lot of people saw that now. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of guides here that are, you know, we're not going to put up with this, you know, yelling about it on social media, talking about it to their friends and family, you know, letting their clients know. Um, you, you know, I, I do think it's much easier. Like you said, 10 years ago, it wasn't happening. But I think especially with with Florida, the way that our population's going, it's growing immensely every day um, that you can't just I think everybody realized you can't be quiet about it anymore because you got to fight. Cause with, how are you gonna control this many people and their their sewage and landscaping and everything else unless you scream about it and talk about it and tell everybody about it and education and decent about it just like we talked about? I am super proud of
0: my yard because I live right by the water. Um, mm-hmm. I have no less than eighty seven native grasses and weeds growing <laughs> throughout my yard awesome. it is it is the least. You know, uh it it is very native. I'll I'll put it that way. I do I do I'm pretty good about mowing it and I do pull weeds in the flower beds, but uh yeah, I've never put fertilizer. My my father in law came over a couple of years ago and he was like this huge Italian guy from New York. And he's like, he's like, hey, if your lawn's patchy and brown, Tony. He's like, why don't you throw some uh throw some fertilizer on it? And my wife <laughs> like rolls her eyes and she's like, Don't say that to him. You know, like don't you know <laughs> I'm like, go cause an algae bloom in my crib, fool. <laughs> so um yeah. so yeah, it's and I and I'm an old guy and I get it. So uh, you know, I'm glad you came on, Dustin. I, I I watched the videos that you did when they came out, and I and I was just like, man, this is a this is a dude that cares. You know, he's sticking his neck out, and uh, I got to meet this guy. And and I'm pretty stoked that you came on to tell the story. And you know, if if our listeners want to learn more about it, please go to Tampa Bay Waterkeepers. Like you said, like Dustin said, take a look at his track record. Uh, take a look at the group's track record rather and uh and you can see what they've been fighting for and and the battles yet to come and here's to a healthy tampa bay man um I appreciate it
1: yeah thank you guys for having me man i really like i said man everything is my my phone's been blowing up with for the past it's slowing down now fortunately enough but it's blowing up with reporters and we run cnn and fox and everything else so like I said, talking about it, doing these podcasts, educating people to tell them what happened. This is, this is it, you know, this is what we gotta do. And, and then, you know, when it was happening, everybody cared, you know, and a lot of people still do care, but the hardest part is keeping that foot down, the pedal down and, and keep driving this home to tell people this isn't over, you know, just because the water, I mean, we're, our water is nice right now. We're fishing really good right now, but it's it's, it's this close to happening again. You know, and, and a year from now, you know, 10 months from now, it could happen again. And that's why we got to keep the pedal down to, to, to stop it from happening.
0: I tell people all the time, like, I just, I don't understand folks that don't fight for what they love. And especially the connection that fishermen have to the outdoors. It's yeah. different than, it's different than bird watchers. It's different than kayakers and paddle boarders, whatever. It's different you know yeah. uh it's a little bit a little bit more intimate a little closer a little bit more of a direct physical connection yeah. and um and and uh, for the life of me i've never understood how you can't get more people to fight for it and i'm very encouraged by the amount of support that y'all have gotten so far in tampa bay and i hope you i hope you continue to do that so everyone uh baywaterkeeper.org read a bit about them and and figure out how you can help because i would love one day to be part of building an army that uh that helps out these local and regional guys when when something blows up in their backyard and we could we can turn a turn the battleship bear arms on these issues and 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 make a difference so thank you for joining us buddy uh it was great meeting you and
1: uh and everyone catch us on the Thank you guys so much, I really appreciate it.